Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Right, well, today's topic is about prayer. And I think that'd be a good way to begin. Let's pray. Father God, what a privilege it is to be able to come into your presence in worship and in prayer. Lord, we are so aware that prayer is one of the most important things that we can do in our Christian life. The disciples recognise this when they asked our Lord Jesus to teach them how to pray. And, and we know it too, to let go of ourselves and to fix our hearts and our minds on you, to commune with you, to converse with you, to speak with you and to hear from you. And Lord, I personally feel so unworthy, so unqualified to teach your people today how to pray. And so as we study your word together, we ask that our Lord Jesus would do for us what he did for his disciples and teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray unselfishly. Teach us how to pray unceasingly. And teach us to pray by your Holy Spirit, praying spiritual prayers that you will hear and answer and bless. Teach us, Lord. Amen. Righto. Prayer. If I was to ask right now, who here feels that they pray enough? I reckon it'd have to be the most proudly arrogant, self-righteous, egomaniac who would dare to put up his hand. Any, now, now, now that I preface that, anyone really to put up their hand? <laughs> or... Perhaps an unbeliever might put up the hand because for them, oh, I have no reason to pray at all. I'm pretty sure most of us here would agree we don't pray enough. And we might come up with excuses, I don't have time. But what about when you go on holidays and you've got nothing but time? Do you pray a whole lot more when you're on holidays? Maybe some might. Most of us probably don't. And when we're praying in a group, some might feel a bit self-conscious about that and stay quiet. Maybe we feel a bit shy. Maybe we believe that those other people, they pray better than what I do and could, because their prayers are fluid. They flow. They, and they don't have those ums and ahs that my prayers seem to have. Well, the lesson today on prayer isn't about being more fluid and it isn't about getting rid of the ums and the ahs because godly prayer isn't about those things. It's, a, it's not about whether a person is more fluent than, than another person. It's not about whether their prayers sound more spiritual than another person. When Jesus taught us how to pray, he taught us what to pray. 
And that's the important thing, what we pray. All right, so, so Jesus, he used to pray quite often. Sometimes he'd, he'd do it together with his disciples. Sometimes he'd go off into a quiet place all on his own. But one of the times that Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples, and we're not told which one it is, says to him, Jesus, John the Baptist, he taught his disciples how to pray. Can you do that for us, please? And Jesus replied, when you pray, say. Right? Notice he didn't say, if you pray. He said, when. When you pray. Now, you might say to me, but hang on a minute, Michael, I, I'm not a prayer. Right? I, I'm not, I don't have the gift of prayer, so I, that's why I don't pray. You know what? Jesus would differ with you. Jesus says that you are a prayer. See, this is a gift of God that God has given to us. Yes, some people might have a special spiritual gift of intercession where they can, where they just truly are gifted in prayer. But for the rest of us mere mortals, he has still given us the gift of prayer. The gift that he's given to every single one of his children to pray. And being part of, of, the, of God's family, being a Christian, is about being a prayer. Why wouldn't we want to talk to our Heavenly Father? Because that's what being a Christian is all about, coming into communion with our loving Heavenly Father. See, something I've realised is it's not Jesus who limits us in our prayer. See, it's not Jesus who judges my prayers and says, well, Michael, they're not up to scratch, those prayers. He doesn't do that, does he? Do you know who does that? Michael does that. You do that. The devil does that. It's the devil who is telling you that your prayers are not good enough. You know what Jesus wants? He wants to hear more of them. More and more. He longs to hear our prayers as genuine prayers. And guess what? Ums and ahs are accepted. He likes ums and ahs because that's who you are and that's who I am. And so Jesus, he, he went on to give those disciples and us what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, I suspect that probably the first thing many of you will have noticed with the reading today is that is a very short version of the Lord's Prayer. The longer, better known version we find in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's part of what Jesus taught when he gave that very famous Sermon on the Mount. You know the Sermon on the Mount? It's it's wonderful, wonderful piece of scripture. And within that, he taught, these, taught the people how to pray. And that's where we have the longer version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the thing is, when Jesus gave that sermon, that was very early on in his ministry. And at that point, he'd only called a few of his disciples. He called most of them afterwards. And so most of his disciples weren't there to hear that hearing, hear that teaching. And I suspect that's why one of his disciples now is asking him, Jesus, teach me how to pray. But it could also be because they're a bit like me and a bit, bit dumb and forget stuff. And I know I have to be taught by Jesus over and over and over again. And so Jesus would have taught people how to pray over and over again. Now, the Lord's Prayer 
Compared to when I was a younger person last century, the Lord's Prayer seems to have fallen somewhat out of fashion in this day and age. It once was the done thing, where the whole church together would recite the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday. Does anybody remember a time where that was the thing? Put up your hands, nice and high. See all the old people. Yep, just like me. It was once the done thing. Some churches still do that. We do it occasionally, but not very often. We're going to do it today, by the way. So some see it as a prayer which is to recite, as it is. And I reckon that's a really good thing, as our whole church joins together in agreed, unanimous prayer. Some of us use it as a model for prayer. And I do that sometimes, uh, where I use it as a series of headings, setting the topics of my prayer. So I would start out, Father. And I'll pray for a while about what it means for God to be my Father and what a blessing it is to be able to come before God as, as Him as our Father and, and for me to acknowledge how much He loves us and how much he, he holds us close and how much He wants to communicate with us. So pray for a while about what it means for God to be Father. And then the next heading will be, Hallowed be your name and, and give God glory for His holiness. And pray that, that his holiness would become evident and known in this world and, and maybe even grieve in the way that the world does not treat God's name as holy. And I pray about God's children, those who, who live in the name of Jesus and, and how we also should be holy because we are his. Right? And just keep working our way through the prayer and, and using each of those things, each of those words as headings for the prayer. I'll tell you what, if you don't know what to pray about, do that. And you'll very soon have hours of prayer before you. There are times when we pray the Lord's Prayer on our own, in private. But this prayer that Jesus taught is really about praying together. All of the personal pronouns are in the plural. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All right, that the entire prayer is in the plural. This is a prayer which is designed for us to pray together. You can pray it together at home with your family and we can pray it together as we come together as a church. And prayer should be prominent within the church. It should be a main part of our worship. It's a really sad case of affairs that, that um, we now live in an age where the modern church often only uses prayer as a means of transitioning from one song to another. Have you ever noticed that in some churches? That's pretty much all prayer is. Just a few words as a transition to the next song because the songs are what's important, right? Prayer should be much, much more important than that. It should be, prayer should always be a centerpiece of our worship. So, let's get into the prayer itself. Father, 
Isn't, isn't it a wonderful thing that Jesus Christ brings us into his family? Isn't that wonderful? The Lord God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the all-powerful God who sees everything, who knows everything, the God who not only created the world, but the one who will judge the world, who will judge the living and the dead. Bring, Jesus brings us into his family such that this God we can call Father. Now, some of you may not have had a very good experience of a father. Well, what I'm going to ask you is to let God be that perfect father that you never had. There's a song that um, Peter Shirley wrote, I think. Um, and it's about how his, I think it was his wife's experience of her father wasn't a very good one. And so he says, would you mind if I just call you friend? I actually think God would mind. God doesn't want to just be our friend. He wants us to know him and experience him as that perfect father, the father that we never had, perhaps. Now, for me personally, I learned more about God being father when I became a father than any other time. I learned about the love a father has, about the way a father aches for his children, the way a father wants to bless his children, and the way a father wants to know his children and, and to spend time with his children and, and for them to be able to spend time with him. And the way a father loves his children in all of their imperfections. You see, a father is not wanting to have a conversation with a skilled orator, right? So that a skilled orator would be somebody who uses flowery language and, and who, pile, who voices cliche after cliche and, and piles up platitude after platitude. You know the sorts of prayers I'm talking about. God doesn't want his children to talk to him like that. Nor does God want his children to yell at him. Why do some people start yelling when they start praying? Do they think God's hard of hearing? Will you talk to your father like... Well, Jake does have to talk to his father like that because I am hard of hearing. But what, does your father want you to yell at him? Of course not. You know what? One of the greatest joys for a father to have is to hear those very first stumbling words that their child speaks, Dada. I'm seeing a few fathers smiling and a few nodding. Dada. You haven't heard it yet, have you? It'll come. It'll come. Dada. And as our children grow, you know what? The ums and the ahs, who cares? Who cares if my children have a few ums and ahs? A father wants to hear what's going on. A father wants to know what are the highs? What are the lows? What's causing you heartache? What's giving you joy? And that is how we pray to God, our Father. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, sanctified. And when the scriptures talk about the name of God, it's not only about his personal name, it's who he is 
God is holy. There's, there is nothing impure about God at all. Now, when we understand the holiness of God, that's when we begin to understand why in the Old Testament, and particularly in, in the book of Leviticus, there's all of those instructions and rules and regulations, and all of these steps and procedures and sacrifices and everything that you have to do to, to remove the guilt and the sin and the impurities. It just seems to go on and on and on. Do this and do that and do the other thing. All so that the, the people of God and even the high priest, those special godly people, just so that they can come into the presence of a holy God. They have to go through all of that merigmorale. Why? To get rid of their sin, to get rid of their unholiness. They have to do all that, to commune with God. And when we understand the holiness of God, we're confronted with our own unworthiness and fills our hearts with thanksgiving for our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross, was to, to make it possible to take away every sin, to take away every impurity that cuts us off from a holy God. There is no other way to come into relationship with God other than to be made holy, to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus. I'm just going to divert for a little bit to talk a bit more about that. When we were living in, in uh, Brisbane, while I was going to Bible college, uh, there was a little spot called College's Crossing, which wasn't too far away. It was on the Brisbane River. Nice spot to go and we'd sort of take the canoe and take the dog. Well, one day we did that and the dog found a dead goanna to roll in. My, oh my, what was I going to do with that stinking dog? It, it was just putrid. I don't know how long this goanna had been dead, but it was ripe. And my dad used to always say, I, I don't understand how something with the most sensitive nose can like something so putrid. Uh, but that's what it was. And this dog thought that was great. Now, how, how could I, how was I going to get that dog home? I wasn't going to put it in the car. All I could do was get in the river with that dog and scrub it and scrub it and scrub it and scrub it until it was clean. And then it could get in the car and travel with us. And that's what it's like with God. How can God commune with us? We're like that putrid goenna because he can't bear to be with that horrendous sin that is in our lives. And he's the one who took action and cleansed us and purified us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is sort of like a twofold thing. The kingdom of God is breaking into this world right now. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, Every time a sinner repents of their sin and turns toward Jesus and bows before him as their Lord, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. And we pray for this. 
We pray for our part in it. We pray for our church that as we serve God together, his kingdom is coming and his kingdom is growing in this town and in this district. We pray that God's kingdom is growing in Cecil Plains where, where our other group is meeting. We pray for other churches. We pray for churches in this town and in this district. And we pray for churches across the globe that the gospel would be proclaimed and that the kingdom of God would come. And when we pray your kingdom come, you know what else we're praying for? We're praying, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We're praying for the return of Jesus. Jesus has told us that there is a day when he will return. Now you have to also realise that the return of Jesus is also the day that the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be judged and the righteous will enter into glory. And so when we pray your kingdom come, our hearts should be filled with a present urgency for God's kingdom to be breaking into this world right now and we're also praying for our part in that. And our hearts are also filled with the joyous anticipation of the coming of Jesus. Is anyone looking forward to the coming of Jesus? Yeah, it's not only the old people nodding this time. Give us each day our daily bread. In the Old Testament, there's a phrase, Yahweh Jireh. Um, or if you like the Germanized version of it, you might say Jehovah Jireh. It means Yahweh will provide. And he does. What does God provide? God provides what we need. When did prayer change? When did prayer change from give us this day our daily bread? When did prayer change to give me a new car? Give me a bigger house. Give me money to, so that I can enjoy my retirement. Give me a big profit this year. Give me a pay rise. Give me a bumper season this year. Give me, give me, give me. The, you know, the whole name it and claim it prosperity prayer, that is not how Jesus taught us how to pray. And we might start getting a bit anxious if the rain hasn't come and it looks like we're in for a tough season. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Pray what Jesus taught us to pray. Give us today enough food for today. Now, is your faith big enough to believe that Jesus can do that? Yeah. Of course Jesus can do that. Why are you anxious? Why do we get anxious? If we know that Jesus can answer the prayer that he's told us to pray, give us today enough food for today. No reason to be anxious. But can you also see how this works as, as a corporate prayer, as a prayer that we pray together? Right, so as a church, as we pray together, give us each day our daily bread Those whose pantries are full will be serving God 
And God will be answering this prayer as those who have plenty share with those who have not. I mean, which of us could pray together, Lord, give us this day our daily bread and then go home to have a roast lunch, probably roast preacher for lunch usually, to go and have a roast lunch knowing that there's somebody else that has nothing to eat. We wouldn't do it, would we? You see, Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give me enough to fill my storehouse so that I can build another storehouse and fill her up again. And he didn't teach us to pray, give me enough so that I don't have to depend on you in the future. He taught us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Can you, can you imagine how small your tax problem would be if that's what God provided you with each day? Just enough to eat today. Not going to have a tax problem then, are we? And forgive us our sins. I've noticed over the last couple of years there's a, there's a teaching around at the moment I don't know why, but it seems to be getting regurgitated in all sorts of places that God has forgiven all of our sins, past, present and future. Has anyone heard this regurgitated over and over and over again? It's just happening. It's sort of based on a sort of truth, but the way that it's applied is an untruth. And basically what it's doing is it's telling us that we don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore. They're telling us that, you know what, that once, when you first gave your life to Jesus and asked for the forgiveness of your sins, all of your sins, past, present and future, are dealt with. Therefore, if you continue to repent and if you continue to confess your sins, well, you didn't, you, you've got no faith that God forgave you in the first place. What a load of rot. Where did that teaching ever come from? Surely we recognise that every time we come before a holy God, a God whose name is hallowed, surely we become aware of our own sin. Now I wish, I wish that when I became a Christian, it meant that I would never ever sin again. I'm, I'm sorry to break this illusion for you, but that never happened for me. Did it happen for you? Of course it didn't. And that's why even as Christians, or especially as Christians, we need to repent of our sins. We need to turn away from all unrighteousness and ask God for forgiveness. And when we repent of our sins and ask God for forgiveness, we have every confidence, we know we, we do this knowing that God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Now I reckon that verse is, is worth taking a look at. That comes from 1 John chapter 1, 5 to 10. And John says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. Who's him? Well, John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He heard it from Jesus. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, hallowed. God is hallowed. There is no darkness. There is no, no sin. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That pretty much explains why we pray, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Even as we pray, Jesus is reminding us that the forgiven are also the forgiving. Years ago, I, I dropped in on someone at their farm. It was a young couple, and I didn't know them before I dropped in, but, but that's what I sometimes do. I just drop in on somebody in the hope that I can have a bit of a chat with them and hopefully be able to share the gospel with them. Anyway, they'd obviously heard the gospel before because they told me right up front, that they could never be a Christian because they was a person that they, that they could never, ever forgive. And they said to me, that's right, isn't it? Like, if, if, I, if I want to be a Christian, I have to forgive other people. They, they had more understanding of, of how Christians should live than a lot of Christians do. I said, yeah, that's right. And they said, well, I could never do that. And they told me this truly evil thing that this person had done. It was pretty bad. I said to them, look, you're telling me now that you can't ever forgive this person, right? The thing is, forgiving others is a godly trait. And you're telling me that you think you have to be like God even before you become a Christian. And that, that won't happen. It doesn't work like that. Because you, you won't be able to forgive others until you yourself have experienced the forgiveness of God. And once you've experienced the forgiveness of God, then you'll be able to forgive others. See, the way it works is, is we realise that we are totally undeserving. Even if I have an unwillingness to forgive others, guess what? That's sin. And to become a Christian, we repent of sin and we rely on the mercy and the grace of God and the Lord forgives us our sin. He even forgives you for your unforgiveness. And in this, we are forgiven. We are set free. But if I continue to hold on to unforgiveness, I'm not free. And that's why we are saved by faith. We repent of all of our sins. We repent even of our unforgiveness of others. 
because in faith we know that God will set us free from that. Well, what a freedom it is. What a release it is when by the Holy Spirit, God in us helps us to forgive others. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told of the unmerciful servant. Some of you will remember that parable. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If you, if you don't know it, um, go and read it later on in the day or maybe even go back to the Bush Disciples podcast and, and, and listen to the message on Matthew chapter 18. But basically what happens is that there's this king who forgives his servant a debt. It was a debt that he couldn't possibly pay back. By the way, the servant is actually more, more like a slave. And the debt is so enormous, it's like national debt size, right? So this is a crazy thing. How could, how could a slave have a national debt type quantity that he owes this king? But how could the slave ever pay it back? It's absolutely impossible. And that's the picture of us with our sin. Every evil thing that we have done, it amounts to a cost which is impossible to pay. There is nothing that you can do to set yourself free from this. But the king forgives the dead. And that is God, by grace, forgives us of our sin. By grace simply means it's a free gift. Oh, sin? That's okay. I've sent my son to die for you. That was the cost of your forgiveness. It's paid. You are now forgiven. But then the servant, he leaves there, and then he goes and starts throttling his other servant, his fellow servants, and saying, Give me back what you owe me. And they said, Oh, no, just can you forgive us? Nope. Into jail with you, buddy. And when the king heard what this evil servant had been doing, he hauls him in, says, you wicked servant, I forgave you that enormous debt. Why will you not forgive your brothers? And he had him thrown into jail to be tortured until he could pay back every last cent of that debt. And Jesus finished up by saying, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It sounds like it's pretty important that we should be forgiving, doesn't it? And so when we pray and we ask for forgiveness, Jesus is teaching us that we also, in this prayer, forgive others who have sinned against us. You can never be free unless you do forgive that other person whom you are holding on to that unforgiveness. And lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? Does God tempt us? No, he doesn't. Uh, in James chapter 1, it says, let, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Right? It's not God who tempts us. 
um, each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. So what does it mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Essentially, what we're praying is that by the Holy Spirit, we would flee from temptation. We recognise that as humans, we continue to be susceptible to sin. Temptation is ever before us. Temptations come from the world. Temptations come from the devil. And temptations come from what, what the Apostle Paul calls the flesh. That part within us that still desires to do evil. How do we flee from things like this? Well, for a drunk to flee temptation, stay away from the pub. For a man and woman who, who are attracted to each other and, and are tempted to, to go further than what they should before they're married, don't put yourselves in that position where you are alone and nobody else can see what you are doing. Flee from temptation. For a materialistic person, a person who just likes accumulating more and more things, to flee from temptation, stay away from the shops and unsubscribe from all of those special sales emails that happen to be happening every single day and you get multiple emails coming into your e inbox every single day. Unsubscribe from them. You don't need them. For a greedy person to flee from temptation, rather than investing your profits to, so that you can make more and more profits, give to the poor and use your finances to to fund the church and, and ministry. There's all sorts of things that we should flee from. There's a very common saying, back in my day it was a bumper sticker. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you would have heard it. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. We've all heard that. Most of us heard it. Do you know what Bible verse that comes from? It doesn't. It doesn't. And for years, ever since I was a little boy, that saying has been used as an excuse for ongoing sin. And it's sort of like, I've got the trump card there. Somebody says, you know, I don't, I don't really think much of those Christians because I just see a whole bunch of sinners, people who are doing horrible stuff, blah, 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 and you pull out the trump card. It's okay. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. You know what? We should be ashamed if people of the world see evil in us. We should be ashamed of that. And the prayer that Jesus gave isn't about excusing ongoing sin. It's about being set free from it. Jesus doesn't want to just excuse us. He wants to set us free. And so he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Help us to guard against sin by not putting ourselves into the place where we will be tempted. So there you go. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's not about fluency. It's not about spiritual sounding phrases. It's about what we pray. It's about praying for things that are close to the Father's heart. 
Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. In Jesus' name, amen.